Well, I thought I had you this week, Tony. I didn't have a text long enough to take much time. But you figured me out. Well, good morning, everyone. We uh, were just worshiping downstairs in the gathering worship service, and I preached to them what I'm about to share with you. So I hope you will remember me as prayerfully I try to share this message. It starts a long time ago in more than one way. On October the 7th of 1857, 23,654 people, the largest crowd that had ever assembled there, gathered at London's Crystal Palace to hear a 23-year-old English Baptist preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon was already the most popular preacher of his day, and he is still regarded as perhaps the greatest preacher the English-speaking world has ever heard. But those were the days before sound amplification, and so a couple of days prior to the preaching event, Spurgeon went down to the Crystal Palace to try to figure out the best place to put the platform where people could see and hear. And he later wrote about that trip, that experience. He said, in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, I cried in a loud voice, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing about what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin. He put down his tools, he went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. Years later, that workman told this story to someone who visited him on his deathbed. And that's how Spurgeon came to know of it. A random London laborer happened to overhear Spurgeon quote from John chapter 1, verse 29. He fell under conviction for his sins, and the ultimate result was his salvation. In case you don't know that verse, it's my sermon text for this morning. It's very brief, so let me read it for you from the New International Version, the version I typically read from when I preach, and you, you listen as I do. You know the context. John the Baptist was out there with some of his disciples, and it says in this verse, John 1, that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This verse contains the most explicit identification of Jesus as the Lamb of God anywhere in the Bible. But what's the meaning of that description? Jesus as the Lamb of God. And what does it have to do with sin? Well, as we look a little more closely at what John had to say, I think we'll begin to get an understanding of it. John basically said three things. The first was to look, behold, 
cast your eyes upon. Look over there. He was telling his disciples to look at Jesus. He was pointing at Jesus. He repeated it the next day in verses 35 and 36. Again, he, he pointed his disciples at Jesus. And the reason was they hadn't discovered Jesus yet. They didn't know who Jesus was. John had a familiarity with Jesus to some degree. They were cousins. But John had received a supernatural revelation that Jesus was God's anointed, God's chosen one, God's Messiah, the Christ. And so John was showing Jesus to them. He was pointing Jesus out. Now, there is an obvious application for us here, of course. In our world, there are countless people who have not yet discovered Jesus. Or they don't know who he is, really. They may know something of him, but their information is far short of accurate. And we who do know Jesus can do what John did and point him out to others who need to find him. We can direct them in Jesus' direction. We can invite them to come to this place and see Jesus at work in the hearts and lives of his people. We can do what John did. Now, notice that John first saw Jesus and then pointed him out. So we ourselves have to truly see Jesus in order to point him out to others. But if we have, we certainly should because our world desperately needs to find Jesus. But even those of us who have, we need to continue to behold Jesus, to look to Jesus. We need to look for him if we've never found him in faith and received the forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. We need to look to him, look at him to, to study him. We need to look at who he is, uh, at, at what he does, so that we can learn to live the way he teaches us in his word and by his example. We need to look at Jesus, and we need to look to Jesus for hope and for help in times when we struggle, when life gets difficult, when the way gets narrow, when we're at the end of our rope. We need to look to Jesus, the source of our hope and our help. We need to continue to behold Jesus. John the Baptist told his disciples to behold Jesus, to look at him, to see who he really is, and who is he. Well, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now that's a deeply meaningful description once you understand its Jewish background. All the way back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 12, we find the account of the institution of the Passover observance, the Jewish Passover. And you may remember how it came about. God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and God raised up Moses to go and speak to the Pharaoh in the process of, of freeing them from their bondage in the Exodus. And as part of that, God sent plagues as judgments upon the Egyptians and their false gods. And the final judgment was to be the death of the firstborn on a specified day at midnight. 
And every Israelite family was commanded to sacrifice a healthy, one-year-old, unblemished male lamb. A Passover lamb, as it came to be. They were to sacrifice it, eat it, put the blood of the lamb on their doors so that their homes would be passed over as the judgment came. That's the origin of the, the term, Passover. In Exodus 12, verse 7, God says, They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now that's the imagery, the, the concept that lies behind Jesus being called the Lamb of God. Because Jesus is our Passover Lamb. He's sacrificed for us so that we can live. In John's Gospel, he portrays Jesus this way. In fact, he goes to great pains to tie together the, the Passover lamb with Jesus and his sacrifice. Jesus was crucified, as you know, with two thieves. And John writes about that in chapter 19 of his Gospel. He says, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because it was Passover week. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. John writes, These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. The scripture that is fulfilled there is in Exodus chapter 12. When God was instructing them how to prepare the Passover lamb to be eaten, he told them, It must be eaten in one house. None of the meat outside the house is to be taken. Do not break any of the bones. John wants us to know that Jesus' death was a fulfillment of the Old Testament imagery of the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And John isn't, this isn't just his idea, by the way. The Apostle Paul writes the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul writes, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And that sacrifice is necessary because of sin. Our sin, specifically. In the context of the Passover imagery, it is the blood of Christ that allows God to forgive and to pass over our sins. Because Jesus has taken the judgment for our sins on himself. We are covered by his blood. When God told the Israelites to put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts, he said, When I see the blood, 
I will pass over you, and no plague shall fall upon you to destroy you. So when God passed through Egypt, he either saw the blood of the Passover lambs, or he didn't. If he saw the blood, he passed over that house, and they lived. If he did not see the blood, the judgment fell on that house, and there was death. If there is blood, there is life. If there is no blood, there is no life. At the most fundamental level, when God looks at you and God looks at me, he sees one of two things. He sees either our sin condemning us, or he sees the blood of his son Jesus that causes us to be forgiven and passed over in the judgment. God. What does God see when he looks at you? Does he see your sin or the blood of his son? Are you washed in the blood of God's lamb? John the Baptist said, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he, he names Jesus as the Lamb of God and then says what Jesus does. He takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin by taking it on himself. He is God's Lamb, God's provision for our sin. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 verse 6 wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God has laid on his lamb our sin. The Passover lamb in Judaism had to be sacrificed every year because it was a temporary and insufficient remedy for sin. But it was a picture of the coming Christ. Jesus is the perfect sinless sacrifice once and for all whose death is sufficient to take away the sin of the entire world. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. His death is sufficient to save all, but it is efficient only for those who receive it, who confess it, who acknowledge it, who allow the blood of Christ to wash them whiter than snow, to wash them clean. And God will do that for you if you ask him. The sacrifice has been made. It had to be made because we all need a Passover lamb. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So all of us need this remedy that God has given us. And the most perceptive of God's people have always known that. All the way back in Genesis, as God began his redemptive work, Abraham, the father of the faithful, obeyed God. He left his home in Ur of the Chaldees to go to a place where God would show him. He was a faithful person. But in chapter 22 of Genesis, Abraham's faith was put to the test. God asked Abraham to sacrifice as a burnt offering. 
his only and beloved son, Isaac, the child of the promise, the one for whom Abraham and Sarah had waited their whole lives. He was supposed to go and sacrifice this, this one, this one through whom God would raise up nations? God, are you sure? Abraham didn't ask that question. Abraham trusted God. He knew God was going to do something. And until that happened, he was going to follow God's instructions. So Abraham gathered the wood. He got the fire. He got the knife with which to sacrifice his son. And they traveled for three days toward the place of sacrifice. And the Bible says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac didn't know it, but he was asking the question that would become the question of the ages. Where is the lamb? Moses himself must have known it. As he instituted the Passover, he must have known that this Passover lamb was not enough to atone for his sins. They did it year after year. He knew the Passover lamb couldn't wipe away all of his blood guiltiness. Moses must have asked, where is the lamb that can do that? David, the shepherd who became king, a mighty king, but a flawed king, who committed grievous sin, adultery with Bathsheba, and had her husband murdered. David, as he was finally made aware of his sinfulness and his guilt, he wrote in Psalm 51, crying out to God, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. David the shepherd knew he was guilty. David must have asked, where is the lamb that can atone for this? Even Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, saw his own sin so clearly in the temple that day when he recounts in Isaiah 6 of a vision of God and immediately he was stricken, con convicted of his sin. He cried out, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips. Even Isaiah, who saw his sin, but who foresaw also the coming of a wounded healer in Isaiah 53, who willingly, silently goes to his death as a lamb goes to the slaughter, Isaiah must have asked, Where is the lamb who will be pierced for our transgressions? Where is the lamb by whose wounds we are healed? Where is the lamb that can take away our sin? Where is the lamb on whom God will lay the iniquity of us all? The answer to that question is the same answer that Abraham gave Isaac. Abraham responded by saying, God himself 
will provide a lamb. And so it was that one day a young man left his home in Nazareth of Galilee and walked south-southeast down to the place at the Jordan River where his cousin John was baptizing. And John saw him and professed, announced what he had learned by divine revelation. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus. Abraham had faith that God would provide a lamb. And so he did. Not just in that instance, but later for all of us, God has provided a lamb who can take away our sin. We noted at Christmas how appropriate it was that the birth of the Lamb of God was first announced to shepherds keeping watch over their flocks in the fields. Those lambs some speculate were the ones kept for sacrifice in the temple. On the tenth day of the month of Nisan, every year, on the Jewish calendar, when that day came, every Jewish family set aside a Passover lamb to be sacrificed on the fourteenth day of the month, the day of Passover. Writing just years later, after Jesus, Josephus, the Jewish historian, recounts that in Jerusalem at Passover time during one year, there were 256,500 lambs in Jerusalem to be sacrificed. What that means is, as Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time on his way to the cross, he would have entered that city literally surrounded by lambs for sacrifice. And as Jesus was nailed to the cross at the end of that week, at that same time, priests would have been sacrificing innocent lambs in the temple. All while God's lamb was bleeding out his blood on the cross to cover us to save us once and for all. And so the question of Isaac is the question of history. Where is the lamb? The answer is that of John the Baptist. Behold, the lamb of God, Jesus. And so God has done all he can do for you. God has provided the lamb who was sacrificed for your sins. And now, it's time for you to accept God's provision for your sin and to do all you can for him in response. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the richness, the depth of the teachings in your word. We thank you for the many ways you reveal to us what you have done for us through your son Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He is portrayed in scripture as your lamb, the lamb 
who is indeed truly innocent, whose blood is shed to wash away our sins and make us white as snow. I pray, God, that we might recognize that, that we might receive it as a gift from your hand, that we might live each day in gratitude and service for your having given us your Lamb, our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.